You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director in Long-Term Care. Telehealth offers a practical, efficient way to expand patient access to care, improve quality of care, and reduce health care costs. How can telehealth be particularly beneficial to long-term care medicine patients and providers? Joining us to discuss telehealth, expanding the reach of care, is Dr. Dan Osterweil, clinical professor in the Department of Geriatrics at the David Geffen School of Medicine at University of California, Los Angeles, and medical director for Silverado Senior Living in Calabasas, California. Dan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. We're going to talk about telehealth and telemedicine, and this refers to the constantly evolving technologies used to care for patients remotely. How would you like to define telehealth today, and how quickly is telehealth in the industry of long-term care expanding? Well, I think telehealth is the technology that allows people to communicate with their providers using any technological modalities that can be, you know, an expanded phone video or just a phone or any outreach to physician, patient, provider, to me, would include telehealth. Well, do you want to tell us about some of the things that you're doing out at Silverado and at the University of Los Angeles? Yeah. At Silverado, which is a company which is a proprietary group that is dedicated to Alzheimer care, telehealth has been adopted years ago, actually not by the clinicians, but by administration that found that that's a very good way to link themselves to facilities that are thousands of miles and few states away in an immediate fashion. And I was fortunate enough, and I agreed to be a better site to the clinical part of this activity. And I have essentially a workstation in my office that connects me to a facility which is about 30 miles away from here. The unit at the facility includes a sort of a mannequin or robot, if you may, which includes an instrument on wheels that has a video camera, high-end digital camera, and a screen. And on my end, I have essentially a screen and a telecamera and a computer, and a joystick. And I essentially, by hooking up to the facility, can walk with that particular robot and get to patients' rooms, go to administration office, go around the facility, zoom on skin. And it comes very handy in many instances. The one that comes to mind is an incident that happens. Uh, I can actually, instead of driving and be 35 or 40 minutes on the road, I can essentially in minutes go and see what's going on to the extent that visual is helpful. When patients' families come, I can actually look in their eyes and talk to them about end-of-life issues as opposed to have kind of a distant phone conversation. So I find it very useful. Now, Dan, some of these older patients, they must be a little bit frightened by a robot coming into the room. Can you explain how this works out? Excellent question. You know, really, those people who are afraid when you as a person come to the room, those are the patients that may be a little intimidated by the robot. Otherwise, I found really no inhibition of those individuals, albeit 
cognitively impaired to interact with me through the robot. And usually there is a staff member with them, so it kind of eases the interaction. Any troubles with other barriers that are out there, reimbursement, investments, training, pushback by facilities? Well, I think talking about Silverado, it's kind of easy because it came from them and they are very open to that. But trying to have expansion of its use to other clinicians has really a barrier because there is a cost involved in installing the workstation in physician's office or even if they use a laptop. And the company that has the proprietary equipment has gone to other areas such as ICUs in neurosurgical units where they have more yield to their efforts than in assisted living. So they are not as open to discount the service cost to a physician that wants a station in his or her office. That's one barrier. The second is that the interaction through the telehealth system is not really reimbursable in urban areas. I think there is a code now to use it in rural areas, and it opens a whole opportunity for physicians, psychiatrists in particular, I think, to provide services using this technology in rural areas where actually it is paid for. Other barriers are geographic barriers. If the facility has more than one level and does not have clear thresholds to roll over, that particular instrumentation may have some challenges. There are some fire doors when I roll through the facility that I have really to kind of gain speed to kind of jump over a little threshold, which is maybe three-eighths of an inch, but still it is a problem. So those are kind of technical things. Uh, the big one is really interruption of Internet connection because it requires Internet to be all the time. So if the T-line that the facility uses is used for other purposes, that will take bandwidth away from this unit that I'm using that requires actually most of the bandwidth. So those are kind of a mixture of barriers to implementation, but I think the top one is really cost. Second is reimbursement. And in facilities that are not with this culture that Silverado has would be really showing them the benefit of having it, albeit it will be costing them some resources, versus just continuing the traditional way of practicing. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangalos, and joining me to discuss telehealth, expanding the reach of care, is Dr. Dan Osterweil, clinical professor in the Department of Geriatrics at the David Geffen School of Medicine at the University of California, Los Angeles, and medical director for Silverado Senior Living in Calabasas, California. Dan, as we continue, let's remind our audience and our listeners that right now we're talking about very active and interactive telehealth systems. Can you expand and talk about some of the more passive systems that monitor and lurk in the background? Well, you know, the typical old way of monitoring, you can essentially, through the system, monitor vital signs or the individual has some kind of a sensor attached to the person and you can, in a remote station, monitor their vital signs, very similar to what you have in units in the hospital where you have the monitoring units on one floor and the person on another floor. You can have situations where people are weighing themselves, which is actually more interactive because they have to jump on a scale or stand on a scale 
and the weight is essentially transmitted electronically to a monitoring station or puff into a tube and you can get their FEV1 or put their finger on a lancet and drop of blood is measured and the value of the sugar is, is given on his screen and on the screen of the nurse in a remote supervising dispatch or station, whatever you call it. Sure. Now, how about some practical tips for our listeners for them to try to implement something at their facilities? Any suggestions how to get started? The easiest way to get started, and this is more for assisted living, is really to contract with a home health agency that has ventured into using telehealth. Those have been around. Those are consoles that are very basic monitoring of blood pressure, pulse oximetry, the most sophisticated ones will do AccuChecks, but essentially those home health agencies figure that they actually will do a better job for their patients if they have some kind of continuous measures. So if, if you are a physician in assisted living and you know in your community a home health that has that instrumentation, try them out when you have a blood pressure resistant kind of a patient and see how it works and, and how much work it creates for you when you get those graphs and reports back to the office. I think in the future, and actually it's already in the present, sleep studies can be done using a telehealth instrumentation. There are uh, labs today that will send an able patient a video camera, a webcam essentially, and measurement of a hook to measurement of sleep using an EEG that goes through the Internet, and essentially the technician can monitor that person visually at night, so they don't have to go actually to a lab. And interesting enough, that's actually less costly than the typical lab work, you know, the going on site. So that's another one if you can investigate in a community, if anyone uses that technology in the Los Angeles area, I can give people who call me a resource for that. That's a very good tip for our listeners. That's very nice. I've also seen uh, dialysis programs uh, remotely monitor from one location, especially when it's difficult to get to those areas that might be farther out. Yeah, and you know, I used it also in teaching when the Drew University student geriatric fellows rotated through my service in Calabasas. They had some limitations based on county allowance when they can get off-site, and they were rounding later in the day. And that was a time that I already moved to another facility. So we had a schedule, and they were calling me at the end of their rounds. And I was actually hooking with the robot for my office and actually walking with them and getting reports on the patients, seeing the patients. They can demonstrate to me the finding or demonstrate a cognitive assessment in front of the camera. And that was pretty handy, and I could probably wrap it up in less than an hour. So that's another use and which is not being utilized enough. When you have shortage in primary care providers, you have the obligation to provide nursing home experience to family practice and internal medicine. That could be a system, actually, that can be used. That gets the expertise in the right location at a very economical price. Right, and honestly, you could, and I know you're involved with many facilities in Rochester, uh, and you, you know, it's a cold area, and you can essentially, if you install those or they agree to have that installation facility, you can do team meetings, and the physician can actually participate in, on ad hoc care planning, you know, for 15 minutes using that methodology as opposed to, you know, get out of his way to travel half an hour to a place and then leave it 
which makes it pretty inefficient. I have weekly meetings with my team, and I just place myself at the corner of the room so I can see everyone in the room, and then we can talk about, usually we have a routine of reviewing five problematic issues per week, and this way I can, essentially, they can see me, They and I, it's a more impersonal, not that you cannot do it over the phone, but I think there is another dimension when you see people. Well, have you been able to show that the telehealth programs that you have in place reduce the overall healthcare costs? Are there studies that you've done or others that have done that can actually kind of move this forward with an evidence base? I have not done it. It's something that begs to be done. There is a proprietary company in the South Beach here in California that has contracted with managed care. And he was able to show, he was not able to gauge the real cost, but on a case-by-case basis, he let managed care buy 15 minutes increments time of a high-end psychiatrist, which was based at UC Irvine. And he connected them with practitioners in the Riverside County, which is sparse in high-quality psychiatry. And he was showing that by having that access, those people had let 5150 admissions to the acute, which, you know, if you compare $200 an hour for a consultation with one visit to the emergency room, I think that this kind of a non-scientific way gives you a little bit of, of an idea of how much cost saving can be reached. This is not using the technology that I'm using. It's much cheaper, less expensive technology, uh, albeit, you know, secured and, you know, compatible with HIPAA and the whole, all those regulations. So I think there are ways to do it even in a less expensive fashion. And I'm actually now launching a similar experiment in remote clinics where the same kind of approach will be used in managed care and we'll see whether there is at least improvement in care process by able to identify crisis before it reaches the emergency room. That will be essentially the metrics. Well, I would like to thank my guest from California, Dr. Dan Osterweil. Dan, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. My pleasure, Eric. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, a channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.